Come on in, sit back and relax. You're listening to episode 168 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. This podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. We have an ongoing series where we drill down into different components of the advisor tech stack. And this episode is all about portfolio rebalancing, which is one of my favorite topics because my very first project when I founded Ezra Group back in 2005 was helping to design and build a portfolio rebalancing engine. I had a terrific conversation with today's guest, Jerry Michael, co-founder and president of Smartleaf. Jerry started Smartleaf back in 1999. And he's weathered the storms of consolidation and has remained one of the very few independent portfolio rebalancing software providers. You can learn more about their solution at smartleaf.com. And if you are a fintech executive with a software product that you're selling to RIAs, broker dealers, asset managers, TAMPs, or other firms, then you should run, not walk, to our website, ezragroupllc.com, and fill out the Get in Touch form on the homepage. Our wealth tech research team can deliver a wide range of services for your firm, including competitive analysis, new product evaluations, market insights, and strategic advice, integration development, and more. Every vendor needs these things to be successful, especially when entering new markets. And you can get on the right track by going to EzraGroupLLC.com. A quick housekeeping note before we continue, please subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And now, let's kick this thing off. I'm very excited to introduce our next guest on the program. It is Jerry Michael, founder and CEO of Smartleaf. Jerry, welcome. Craig, uh, it is a pleasure to be here. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. It's been a while. How's everything going? Where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Beautiful Cambridge. It's still lovely this time of year there. Well, getting a little chilly though. Yeah, no, it is actually beautiful, beautiful weather. Uh, of course, we tell ourselves in New England that it's all worth it for the uh, change of seasons, the beautiful fall colors. I'm not sure that's actually true, but it's what we tell ourselves. Yeah, we, we tell ourselves the same thing here in the southern northeast in New Jersey, right? So we, it's not as bad, but still we get the same issues. But we're still happy here. We never seem to want to leave. All right, so uh, thanks again for being here. We're really excited to talk to you um, and about portfolio rebalancing. Trends in portfolio rebalancing is what we're talking about today. Before we start, can you please give us a 30-second elevator pitch on Smartleaf? Smartleaf is an automated rebalancing system. Our purpose is to make portfo personalized portfolios simple. Uh, or maybe I should phrase, you know, it is to make uh, uh, portfolio personalization simple. If we're doing our job, managing a direct index is literally as easy as managing an ETF and using literally in the way that your English high school English teacher would approve. Um, all forms of tax management, tax-sensitive transition, ongoing tax loss harvesting, your, uh, gains deferral, all should be easy. Um, ESG, easy, uh, personalized portfolio should be no harder to manage than any other portfolio. That's a great pitch. I'm ready to buy. Where do I sign? Well, just give us a call. I will do that. But let's talk about uh, trends. So you've been in the business for quite some time. You started your company back in 1999. Is that correct? That's correct. So you've seen everything around portfolio rebalancing when it comes to the financial advisory business. What are some of the things you're seeing now? What's changing 
around portfolio rebalancing now that we've been so long in the industry things are so mature? Well, I think the, the deeper trend is that is a change in the value proposition of wealth advisory firms themselves, away from any value proposition that's based on performance or product or trades or you know talking with the clients about whatever Kramer said on TV uh, last night. And it's more towards the idea of the advisor as a financial planner. And we hear phrases like lifetime financial coach. Now, we have nothing to do with that trend. But if you embrace that trend, then you realize the advisor is not adding value by taking on uh, rebalancing themselves. The correct amount of time for an advisor to spend uh, rebalancing and trading portfolios is precisely zero. And that we are seeing, that is the largest change, that people realize that is the right amount of time for advisors to spend trading and rebalancing portfolios. And that is very different than what most, many advisors think, even think today, that they, they need to be involved, they need to be reviewing trades, they need to be checking that everything's working properly. Why is that something they don't need to do with your system? So the, re the reason why people would say that, you know, there's two reasons why the advisor would be involved. One is they're talking to their client about whatever Kramer said on TV and whether they should uh, buy or sell Tesla, then obviously the advisor is involved. But apart from that, there was a belief that if you wanted customization, uh, if you wanted uh, great tax management, that then the advisor had to be the one rebalancing the portfolio. They're, after all, the only ones who know what the what the individual client needs. Now, people always recognize that so centralized rebalancing would be efficient and scalable, but it would be cookie cutter. And we're here to say that's exactly backwards, that if you want to deliver very high levels of customization and very high levels of tax optimization, the only way to do it is to centralize the rebalancing and trading. Because that's the only way to automate it and the only way to deliver either of those truly at a high level, even for individual accounts, is through automation. Otherwise, it's all it's all compromise all the way down. Indeed. I mean, that's those are the, the kind of rebalances we we worked a lot with is the ones that require a lot of interaction. The the trades need to be reviewed, or the rather the orders need to be reviewed before they become trades or they're approved. There's lots of finagling and figgling, uh, fiddling with the trade order list. So how how do you get advisors to trust the process and, and just let it go? So there's actually two. One, you have to be able to uh, enable them to serve their clients. You know, if they're not getting a solution, a customized solution that really does fit their client needs, well, there's they shouldn't trust the system. So you first have to, it can't be cookie cutter. The, the advisor still has to be involved with, you know, I'll use this slightly clunky phrase, designing a customized solution. That means, you know, this is the client, you know, they, uh, we're not going to have real estate because they have outside holdings in real estate. They want a tobacco screen. Uh, they are withdrawing $5,000 a month and we have to prepare for that. We want tax sensitive transition. We want to, you know, a transition over three years. All of those options still need to be there for the advisor. They're not the ones implementing it, but they are the one making those choices. So then beyond that, you know, all right, we have this automated system, this, you know, black box with blinking lights. Why would the firm trust that? And, you know, the the answer is, well, uh, you can show the data that actually it does, you know, statistically a very good job of managing those portfolios. When we implement our system, we see, not surprisingly, when people go from sort of decentralized to centralized, 
we see that on average, the dispersion of accounts goes down by 60%, which perhaps you would expect. The slight surprise is the level of taxes goes down by 60% as well. And you would think that's impossible. I mean, you know, you choose one or the other. Do you want to have lower dispersion? Do you want to have lower taxes uh, for the uh, accounts? You can have both. And that's a measure of how much better uh, this process is than having the advisors manage the portfolios themselves. What do you mean precisely when you say the level of taxes goes down by 60% as well? Does that mean clients see a 60% reduction in their taxes? Correct, relative to what they were seeing before. So the taxes that come from capital gains uh, generated by the rebalancer is reduced um, by 60% by, going, by moving to a centralized Correct. Process. So before this is, you know, it means before the advisor wasn't doing tax loss harvesting, they were, you know, occasionally selling things short term before they went long term. They were, you know, most advisors who were, you know, after all doing this largely manual process, the more customized, the more tax optimized, the more manual it was, it meant they were doing it fitfully, you know, mm -hmm. when they, when they had time and it just, they aren't very good at trying to do this at scale. We're still seeing, I mean, we, we, I've been in the industry for uh, for 18 years, well, financial services for 30, but specifically wealth management 18 years. And we're still trying to get advisors to realize their value add isn't pushing the button, building models and, and trading, but they still seem to think that. Why do you think that is? Well, I'm not sure I'm the best person to comment on that because you know we identify, our clients are the clients who have identified that their future is uh, a, a value proposition based on the advisor as lifetime financial coach. Um, as for why advisors, well, I think ultimately, you know, it's probably is the customer. I think uh, many investors still believe that their advisor is someone who's well going to be more of an expert at picking stocks. You know, the doctor is going to be better at picking which medicine I should get, and well, my advisor, they're going to be better at picking which stocks are going to win. So I think that's what a lot of uh, investors, uh, clients are looking for. And so firms have no choice to some extent, you know, some of them feel they have no choice but to accommodate that. I've spoken to advisors who they don't believe it at all, but they, mm -hmm. they, have no, they feel they have no choice. They have mm -hmm. to sort of pretend that they are great stock pickers and sneak in sort of financial planning and lifetime coaching when the uh, client uh, isn't noticing. Right. And I think it's that hybrid which is disappearing as firms realize we, we're not even going to pretend this is who we are, um, and you know we will we will work with clients who want who we are. So you said the hybrid. So that's in between the do-it-yourselfers, do-it-yourself advisors, the ones who wanted to make all the trades themselves, with you know, and do all the rebalancing themselves. The hybrids do some where the the, the, you have the set it and forget it crowd. And then you have the middle, where they're sort of in between. How how do the what are the sort of in between ones do, and why is that? Why isn't that the best of both worlds? Well, actually, let me go backwards. I was actually using the word hybrid in a rather unusual way. Hmm. It was hybrid of value propositions. You know, it's are we a financial planning? Are we about lifetime financial coach? Oh, okay. Are we about being the smart person you talk to about individual trades? And what we're seeing disappearing is the firms that are trying to be all things to all people. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, trying to do both of those. And it's those firms that are likely to have both the hybrid, I think, in the sense that you were talking about, of two separate sort of rebalancing workflows. 
And I think firms realize this is no way to run a firm to have two separate workflows. Pick one or the other. Yeah, the the firm that's all things to all people is funny. I remember there was a um, uh, someone at a conference made a fake video ad for an advisory firm, and it said, "We are we are specialists. We focus on retirees, young people, middle aged people, people with kids, people without kids, divorcees, newlyweds, right? <laughs> on and on and on." Because they basically every advisor wants to serve all all clients. They don't realize they need to be in a niche. Well, you know, actually, we're interestingly, and this is getting far afield, but um, because of the uh, ability to be a virtual advisor, meaning you don't have to have clients in your office, you can all be through Zoom. We are seeing some hyper specialized firms. You know, we we work with widowers. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually fascinated by this because, you know, they are, you know, it's clearly a very, they are focusing on a lifetime needs, the lifetime challenges, the people who are going through these life changes have not been through them before, but the advisor can develop great expertise. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing, you know, firms specialize not only in, say, doctors, but specific branches of medicine. And I, I you know, this is, I, I personally find that to be a fascinating trend, not much related to what we're doing, but it is consistent mm-hmm. with the focus on on being a lifetime financial coach. I know there was a couple of advisors, one that works with just retired airline pilots. Excellent. I had a guy at a conference who does that. Another one, of course, we've seen the ones just do doctors or lawyers or, or dentists or other trade specialties. But I did see one advisor who only works, who specializes in a bass fisherman. <laughs> I love it. I'm not sure that's all, like, all he does. Is, do you have any bass fish, bass fishermen type of rebalancing in your in your system at all? Can I put, where's the where's the bass fisherman button? Do you have that? We do not. Uh, and you know, I do not know whether bass fishermen have you know specific needs in their portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, they might. I mean, there might be you know part of customization is risk customization. You're already exposed to the you know certain industry risks, so you shouldn't have more in your portfolio. And for all I know, bass fishermen. Uh, fall into that uh, category, mm-hmm. um, but the you know the part is you know what are this? But I do believe I'm, I'm I don't know what they are, but I'm confident mm-hmm. bass fishermen have different needs than other people. Right. Speaking of different, your product is different in one interesting way, uh, and a lot of firms use portfolio rebalancing, part of it, as you mentioned, to reduce taxes, and. One of the things we're with now at Ezra Group, we spend a lot of time doing research on advisor technology. Portfolio rebalancing is one of our areas of expertise. And we've been following your product as well as all your competitors' products for many years. And one thing we liked about your product was its tax management capabilities. One of the things you have, not only is a tax budget, living what the client wants to pay in taxes, how much they need to offset, but you also have real-time tracking of realized gains and losses and carry forward losses. Uh, what was the impetus behind building that and and how how much is that used by your clients? So let me go backwards. You know, this was the purpose of the system was uh, to make uh, personalized portfolios uh, simple. And so it was, you know, it was the origin was actually uh, to make directed to automate managing direct indexing was act, indexes was actually the original conception. So the focus was on automation, first and foremost. Um, for the tax and tax management was always one of the advantages of owning a direct index. And, you know, ESG uh, was also always another. And so those were there as part of the system on day one. Uh, 
And so part of the, the what we think, uh, we do think our tax management is, is very good, but part of it is actually just the automation. You can do, it turns out more is more. If you can do year-round tax loss harvesting, you're going to do better than if you just have a workflow that does it in December. Um, the people talk a lot about uh, tax loss harvesting, and it is important, but actually gains deferral, risk-adjusted gains deferral, turns out to be in the long run an even more uh, important thing. And it's very hard to do unless you have an automated system. So the, the, we, we set out first and foremost, we, we wanted tax management. It wasn't, we never defined ourselves as a tax management uh, software. It was just one component of personalization. And so the other things, you know, like tax budgets, you know, tax sensitive transition, it all just sort of dropped out of, let's take the standard parts of tax management and automate them. There's nothing, I would say, some of, we haven't invented any new new theory of tax management. There's, you know, there's no fancy derivatives involved uh, in, in what we do. It's pretty standard, you know, loss harvesting, gains deferral, that sort of thing. Um, what's new is the level of automation. It can do anything. It can do, it can do, in some sense, if you had one portfolio, I actually, I even believe that even with one portfolio, we could do better than most advisors who sat there who had one job, which was just to manage one portfolio and they had eight hours to do it. I still think we could do a better job, but it wouldn't be, that wouldn't, that that's not our client. The real issue is most people, you know, they have more than one portfolio. So the real win is that you can do stuff that people already know how to do. They can mm -hmm. just do it on every portfolio. Knowing that and knowing that you can now scale your personalization, how is that helping firms deliver more value when they, clearly they can do things quicker, but how much quicker actually can they do it? Do you have any examples of how fast now firms can work when they're using a portfolio rebalancing engine? All right. So I'll tell a story which I think illustrates two sides of it. First, probably the single most important thing it does is free up the advisor to not spend time rebalancing and trading portfolios. As I mentioned you know, earlier, the right amount of time for advisors to do that is zero. So a story that goes back to March, 2020, when the markets became you know, very volatile and they sort of, uh, they crashed. We had a firm, um, the client facing advisors who spent no time trading portfolios. In the month of March, they reached out to the average client five times. At the same time, they, they rebalanced their entire book at least once, and multiple accounts were traded more than once in the month of March. And that was all done by one person working part-time. So we're illustrating two things here. One, the, advise, the, the client-facing advisors have the time to reach out to clients five times because they're not rebalancing the portfolio. But also the firm had no trouble rebalancing you know, 100% of their book in a day if they wanted to. And at the end of the month, the last phone call, they went back to the clients and said, well, this is kind of a hard month, but this is what we did. It's what we promised we would do. When there was loss harvesting opportunities and taxable accounts, we did that. And by the way, the value of the tax loss harvesting we did in this month alone will reduce your tax bill by three and a half percent of your portfolio value on average, if you're able to use those tax losses against future gains, which they were. At the same time, they were able to report, and oh, by the way, we were able to actually reduce overall dispersion. And the reason was that when you do tax loss harvesting, you're selling something and you have cash. And in our system, you're not constrained to just go put that in cash or put that in SPY. It's cash. And you can just use that to 
you know, fill in the valleys of underweighted uh, securities sectors and industries. So they could use the tax loss harvesting, not only to do tax loss harvesting, but actually in the month of March, I think it was the most volatile period in something like 20 years, um, to actually reduce dispersion. I mean, that's an example of the system doing what it's supposed to do, both freeing up the advisors and the firm, you know, has no problem trading 100% of their accounts in a day. Another interesting part of your system is that tax management number that you keep tracking. I remember you used to send out newsletters and you, you say, here's the amount of percentage tax saved across our entire client base. And you constantly push that out there. How did that help? Did it help, to help drive sales to... Do uh, prospective firms respond to that number? They do, and actually, I think there's an interesting story. So we have clients. You know, they they have they they we can measure the taxes saved for each individual client through active tax management, and the numbers are not small. And we actually recently had a firm uh, did a case study, and they actually asked the question: What percentage of our accounts did we save more in taxes for the client than the than the client was paid in fees? And the answer was 68% of the accounts, 90% on a dollar-weighted basis. And what makes this interesting is, yes, it's very nice to be able to tell clients, hey, by the way, I save you more in taxes than I charge you in fees. But that's not the interesting bit. I mean, it's nice, but I don't think that's the, the greatest value. The greatest value is that the firm is able to say, look, tax management is not my primary or even my secondary value proposition. But it is important, and it is one of the things I do. And here is documentation of the quality of our tax management. And so it is, a, I think, a, a useful uh, and sort of true signal of that this firm has its act together, that not only do they do tax management, not only do they talk about tax management, which every firm does, and oh, by the way, and here is the documented evidence. And so these firms will, you know, I think slightly slyly, encourage clients to, uh, you know, of course, you know, if you're working with another firm, we encourage you to ask them, well, how good is their tax management? Mm -hmm. uh, with the expectation that the other firm probably will not be able to respond. Mm -hmm. And when our clients, they you know, the ones that are able to measure their wallet share, uh, you know, through some sort of aggregation mm -hmm. service, they can measure what is our share of wallet share and consistently they're winning. And they attribute actually the taxes saved report as much as anything else, even though it's not representative of the core service that they're providing, uh, but it's the uh, an easy point of comparison between them and another firm. It's very hard to compare, say, financial planning. You know, am I going to be able yeah. to retire in 30 years? Mm -hmm. Well, ask me in 30 years. It's, it's, yes. a, it's, it's, a, it's a harder thing to measure, but the quality of the tax management is measurable. That is good. Yeah, so you just to reiterate, you said, in one case study, one client, 68% of their clients saw tax results, basically reducing their capital gains taxes by more than the fees they were paying the advisor. Correct. And that's actually inclusive of fees paid to third-party models. Even more impressive. That's really harder to do. That's harder to do. Um and yeah, so it's it's it, it's it is that yes, you know the answer is yes, it is valued. Um, I think interestingly, the most important aspect of that value is simply that demonstration that this is an, an organization that is buttoned up. Mm -hmm. You talked about um, around the financial crisis, 
how advisors were trading their entire book in one day or less. And uh, so how many advisors are currently trading on your platform and how many accounts do you currently process? So I think we have about $50 billion is managed through the platform, about 350,000 accounts. Mm -hmm. And actually, I uh, do not know offhand how many actual advisors that is. I should probably mm -hmm. find that out. Could be useful. We, we love stats. So any kind of statistics we think are useful. It's also useful for getting um, firms may not be familiar with you uh, on an understanding of where you fit in the market. Ah, so I can go through some of our clients, um, the uh, investment uh, management unit of SEI. Uh, the if you uh, Apex Clearing has rebalancing functionality that is powered by us. There is a new firm on the market, Altruist. Uh, their rebalancing mm -hmm. is powered by us. Um, Altium is an RIA that was recently uh, joined uh, Hightower. And I think they've been anointed by Hightower to be the direct index provider to the Hightower family of firms. Mm -hmm. Uh, Advisor Engine, uh, another firm where the rebalancing component is powered by us. There's then a slew of uh, uh, banks and other RIAs who have that are direct clients. That's great. I was just writing that down. And that's where you did have a lot of clients in the banking space for many years. It's sort of a, one of your primary client bases, but you've since expanded into the RIA space. That is correct. And how, how did that transition go? Well, so the transition, you know, banks, there's a couple of things that uh, banks um, have sort of taken this holistic approach to investing and in sort of less, they've put a, gr a greater emphasis on the holistic management of the account and less on trades. That's historically been true. Mm -hmm. And so that was partly sort of the natural uh, cultural fit uh, with banks. They also tend to be larger. And so that was, you know, started where, uh, the larger organizations were. Mm -hmm. For to serve RIAs, we have launched a sub-advisory service uh, where we will do the rebalancing and trading for you. The investor, the client-facing uh, advisor's experience is the same. The investment policy committee's experience is the same, but we'll take over the role of that one or two-person rebalancing group. We've also integrated directly with some custodians, currently Fidelity and Schwab, which makes it easier for RIAs. There's just no software integration, so it makes it possible for us to serve smaller firms. And that means that opens up more of the RIA space. Mm -hmm. Would you say, what's the breakdown uh, of your clients from the enterprise space to the independent RIA space? Um, it's still... Um... So, you know, the the, the Tamsin uh, banks still are the majority. The fastest growing mm -hmm. is RIAs. Which is probably the story of the industry. Yeah, it's been. I think that story's been the same for twenty years. And I think about it; they're constantly telling us that advisors are going faster than the rest of the industry. Yeah, so we're seeing that as well. And we still have to keep plugging away, no matter how fast they're growing. Looking at um, tax management, you mentioned something that's going to get you to define. I was talking about tax management, tax budgeting, and you mentioned real time. Um, sorry, risk-adjusted gains deferral. Risk-sensitive gains deferral. Can you explain how you, how you calculate that? Well, it's, it's what I mean. Is, you know, uh, gains deferral is not selling something uh, because, uh, because uh, motivated by your desire to avoid capital gains taxes. Mm. And, well, in some sense, that's trivial. Just don't sell anything, and presto, mm. you have gains deferral. Mm. Uh, but you'll end up with a wreck of a portfolio. 
Mm -hmm. uh, you can't have you know super concentrated positions or super concentrated sectors or industries. Mm -hmm. So it's constantly a balancing act. On the one hand, I don't want to sell something with uh, that's overweighted that has gains because I don't want to realize the gains. On the other hand, the darn thing is overweighted, mm -hmm. uh, and therefore, by definition of overweighted, I have more than I want it. And therefore, I am creating risk, possibly unnecessary risk for this client. Uh, and so that is a constant balancing act. So when we say sort of risk, uh, risk aware uh, gains deferral is maybe the better phrase, is it's not something you do and forget about it. And in some sense, tax loss harvesting is much simpler. You know, all right, I have some algorithm and some for when do I sell something at do what percentage of basis. And then I do something for 31 days and then probably I go back and then I'm kind of done. Mm -hmm. Gains deferral could be months, years, decades, but uh. constantly, constantly making sure that you do not have an unbalanced portfolio. And sure. that's probably why I think, you know, you hear less about gains deferral. I think it's because it's fundamentally harder. Mm -hmm. No, when something's going to go down. Well, rather than, you know, I'm going to do something and most likely I'm done in 31 days. And you can have a, there, loss harvesting done well is not done by mechanical rules, mm -hmm. but you can do a decent job of loss harvesting by just following some mechanical rules. Um, you can't do really a decent job of gains deferral using mechanical rules. So why can't you do that? What is so complicated about tax loss harvesting that you can't just do it uh, by mechanical rules? Well, no, actually, I think uh, loss harvesting, you can. I mean, I don't think you can do a great job of loss, uh, tax loss harvesting by using, by mechanical rule is I will sell any tax lot at 80% of basis. I will then buy SPY for 31 days, and then I will go backwards. Now, oh, that's yeah. a simple rule. It's It'll do an okay job. It won't do a great job. Um, however, gains deferral, you know, I, you know, you, it's, it's, is it, a, if this mutual fund is overweighted, well, is that good or bad? You can't have a simple rule. No mutual fund could be uh, overweighted by 10%. Right. Well, you know, can your large cap mutual fund that's overweighted by uh, 10% actually be a decent substitute actually for the mid cap? So maybe you can underweight mid cap. Well, plausibly, uh, but you won't get that through any sort of mechanical rule. And right, so the you're, you're, that... you're talking about a wash sale rule. So a mechanical wash sale, where if I sell something, automatically buy this other thing until 31 days and sell it and buy the old one back. Yeah, so for loss harvesting, you could do something like that. Not great, but you'll get something from it. I don't know of any way to do long-term, you know, especially, you know, possibly decades-long approach to gains deferral, you know, holding on to overweighted uh, positions with large capital gains and do that well by any sort of, you know, I'm going to apply these simple rules and call it a day. Because nothing is that simple. <laughs> well, that's, Jerry. you know, Oh, yeah. You know, you know, tax management, you know, the interesting thing is, um, you know, the individual components, they're well known. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, this has been or there's nothing really new here, um, but doing it well, automating it, uh, doing it at scale. That is new. Jerry, we've run out of time. You said it all. Could you please tell everyone's listening where they can find more information about SmartLeaf? You can uh, find more information uh, on our website at smartleaf.com. And, you know, that's smart, like clever and leaf like the thing on a tree. Jerry, thanks so much for being on the program. I really appreciate it. Craig, thank you so very much.
Hey, it's Craig again. Here are my three takeaways from this episode. There is still a demand for personalization. As Jerry calls it, portfolio personalization made simple. Around portfolio rebalancing, a lot of the personalization involves restrictions, what we would call restrictions, things like don't buy this particular stock or don't sell this particular stock. And those things have to be stored and managed and then performed at scale so that those restrictions don't get changed and don't get overwritten when the uh, application is doing its rebalancing over many months or years. Number two, rebalances are great at tax management. A case study that Jerry talked about where their tax results, or well, rather the results they were receiving from the tax management functionality in his rebalancer was generating tax results that were greater than fees in 68% of the accounts and 98% or 90% of the accounts on a dollar weighted basis. That is a great reason to use it. Uh, some features that are great for tax management in portfolio balancers are a tax budget, real-time tracking of realized gains and losses, risk-adjusted gains deferrals, and of course, tax loss harvesting. And number three, uh, Jerry uh, <clears throat> made a great point when it comes to rebalancing tools that, th that he believes the correct amount of time for an advisor to spend rebalancing is approximately zero. Trust the system, set it, and forget it. Well, you've made it to another, the end of another episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Uh, please go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and subscribe to our newsletter. Once a month, you'll receive an email chock full of wealth management technology, goodness, news, analysis, updates. You will not be disappointed. Thanks for listening, and talk to you all again next time.